Everyone always talks about soft skills and it really grinds my gears because very rarely are you taught how to actually sharpen them in today's world. Today we change that. This is episode 208 with Samantha Card. You're tuned into Forever Athlete Radio where together we go far. I'm your host, Corey Camp, and today I'm joined by Samantha, a fellow former Division I athlete who pursued working for a Fortune 100 company post-career and has now found herself more recently in entrepreneurship. She found that she has this special knack for unleashing her competitive nature in a way that saw her quickly become a trailblazer in the corporate world, and now, just a few months into being an entrepreneur, becoming a best-selling author in that process. Now, Samantha's success isn't a fluke. It's because she's been able to break down the tangible soft skills that softball taught her growing up and find new ways to apply them in a way that helps her win the game beyond the game. Today, she shares those insights and helps you get your hands a little dirty as you begin to take your game to the next level here in the new year. I also appreciate you being here. If you want to take one moment before we jump into this conversation, share this with a friend, share this with a family member or a teammate, and make sure you're subscribed to wherever it is that you are listening to this right now. It really helps the show more than you know. It's a gentleman's agreement. You've been here Time and time again, if you haven't subscribed, it's time to do so. We're taking this show to the next level in 2023, and I appreciate you being a part of that. Now let's dive into it. Samantha, how the heck are you? Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm excited to actually hit record on a conversation with you because when we connected a little bit over a month ago, I feel like mm-hmm. there's just so many golden nuggets um, to share. But first and foremost, how are you feeling? You had a, a busy day today, it sounds like. I, I have, but first off, thanks for the opportunity to come, you know, chop it up with you. Uh, Any, and um, yeah, it's just been so awesome. Uh, no, uh, there's no complaints. I mean, every every opportunity to get a little bit better, get a little uncomfortable, and I'm going all in. So it's pretty good. I love it. I, I think from an outside perspective, it might look like, because you just recently went through this transition of of leaving a company, a major role. And now you're out on your own and things are happening. They're they're just not just happening, but they're they're happening quick. Yeah. And it might feel like to some people looking in an out an overnight success, but you and I both know that's probably never the case. Take me back. Like where were these seeds first planted for you that you are right now being able to be like almost over inundated with opportunity after opportunity? But where did that begin? I've always had a passion for giving back Mm. and finding a way to transfer my drive for success to more fulfillment, right? Because success, what's really tied to success is power. And it's bigger than power for me. It's about scalability and impact beyond my wildest imagination, which is pouring into the cup and fulfillment. So that mentality really started happening when I was at, you know, high school level. And I always wanted to figure out, I, you know, nothing ever felt like I was doing enough. I was playing ball year round, all of that. And I was successful. Colleges were recruiting me, but there was always kind of something missing in the whole spectrum of it. And then got to college, progressed, setback, comeback, and realized, okay, hold on a minute. I think I need to be able to pour into other people's cups and show them how I did it and be a little bit more vulnerable and open the doors to areas we don't like to talk about. And then that progressed into having the courage 
to do that, but then also bring others along and show where I failed miserably, where I fell forward. Mm. And um, yeah, that's kind of where it's at. I love the progression and, and being able to pinpoint it. Where did it start? You know what I mean? Because we're seeing oftentimes now in the present moment a result of things that you started way back when, 10, yeah. 15, 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Um, how did you get comfortable in that space back in the, and maybe comfortable is not the right word, but how did you really start to embrace that mentality of almost what I'm hearing is like, regardless of success and regardless of external result, I'm going to show up and I'm going to pour in to other people. Cause that's, I think really fun to say, but it's a whole nother thing to actually buy in and, and start living your life that way. How did you convince yourself to like truly buy into that way of thinking? There were schools that I wanted to go to that didn't pick me. Mm. And it was humbling and the recruiting process said every bit of me was supposed to go there, but somehow the cards didn't fall on the table like others thought they would. That's not my problem, right? My problem is how do I overcome and not let that guide my bus, Mm. right? Or, you know, guide my journey. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it was all about, well, hold on a minute. I'm not that exclusive to this experience. There's so many other people that have all these other pressures and different things. Why, why wouldn't we talk about it? Why wouldn't we create the safe space? Someone has to be a first. Someone has to be that door. And all it takes is one yes. I can get 5 million no's, but if I get one yes, that's all I need. And that's what shift, shifted my mentality towards where I'm at right now. I love that. It's funny you bring that up. Um, Pitt was actually one of those colleges that told me I was too slow uh, to go there. And then uh, ironically, I don't know if this is healthy or not looking back on it, but for the first few years of my college career, I kept, I would always look at Pitt and other schools that told me no, I would look at their results and be like, that sucks. I was faster than like all of their kids. So looks like they missed, (laughs) they missed the opportunity there. Um, did you ever carry yourself with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder in that regard? Or was it always like, all right, cool. We're met with some resistance. We're going to persevere. We're going to move forward. We're going to grow from this situation. The latter, uh, okay. quite honestly, for, for the mere fact that I like to build things from the ground up, I am a visionary type of person. So I can see 10 years down the road very clearly now. Others just have to catch up with my reality. That was hard, right? (laughs) And it is. It is very hard. So that is more of where the frustration comes because I see it. Mm. And for me, it's all about putting the pieces in in place to be able to do it. But like when I was at Pitt, it it was in its ninth year. Wasn't even a fully funded sport. I could have gone where... It was fully funded, but, you know, I was fortunate. I got a full ride, but not everybody was so fortunate to have that. So I always shifted my have to to get to. Uh, I always shifted problems into opportunities to learn. And then from that point, it was just like either I can focus on the positive or I can focus on the negative. My my choice is mine to make. And that's kind of the choice I made. Yeah. I mean, both of those take energy, right? One sets you up, though, in a way that allows you to to grow beyond it. And I love that you 
you mentioned this choice between what you get to see and what you get to put your focus and then energy towards. How are you managing that now with like the freedom that comes with running your own thing? And I, I see the visionary in me that's like, I want to go do all of these things. How are you honing in the visionary creative area of you into a place that's, all right, we're going to integrate this. We're going to start taking action today instead of leaving it this big, ambiguous, uh, lofty 10-year goal. Because I, I know what you want to do. Uh, we've talked about it before, but it's not easy to do if you don't integrate on a day-to-day basis. I agree. So I always highlight that I had zero years of work experience. When I say zero years, I mean more of like the traditional. Mm-hmm. I didn't have internships. Sports was life. It was a year round thing for me. And when I went to go get my MBA, which became a big stepping you know, stone for me to then live abroad, then start working for a Fortune 100 company, I used my experiential skill sets as an athlete and just repackaged it into business. Now I'm at a wonderful intersection on the reverse side of it. So I'm leveraging my corporate athleticism my corporate experiential skill sets of running businesses, doing merger acquisition, understanding where process makes sense, where Mm. you work harder, not smarter, where I may have a great skill set, but if someone can be better and do it faster than me, that's a tool I can add to the toolbox. It has no bearing on my capability set. Ego has no place here. And I'm transitioning it back, back to this new entrepreneurial endeavor, which is a vision that I've had forever And it's going to become a reality and it's actually happening faster. So for me, having the vision and having the speed be my stressor, that's the best place to be because you're not finding the market. What you're doing is you're finding a way to scale to the market. Mm. Yeah. What's the difference there for someone that maybe might not be as familiar with that space? Sometimes when you create an idea to you, it makes sense but you still need to figure out who your target audience, your market is, right? Mm. Who's going to benefit from it? Is there an untapped need? Are you serving something that doesn't exist before? Are you competing against a other alternative and you're the next best alternative? Or, right, do you already have a need and pull from the market and you're creating a solution that hits and hones in a wide array of things that exist in individual pieces, so I'm the way I think about what I'm doing is I am housing and I'm I am consolidating all of these individual good pieces of information mm-hmm. but it's hard we're all busy it needs to be housed in such a way that hey if you only have 10 minutes well let's make that 10 minutes most impactful but give you all that information so you can make your most informed decision and talk in the language that you can receive that information so that's kind of what I mean by that. I, I love it. I mean, meeting the person and meeting the market where they're actually at is so overlooked. And I think that's the the downfall of so many, a company or so many, well, I've seen in the coaching space over the past few years here, people pop on Instagram. It seems like there's 10 new people trying to solve this issue every single day over the past few years, but they're totally missing the mark. Or like I, I come from the fitness space and I often see 
fitness people trying to talk at a level on social through their marketing that is more peer to peer rather than peer to consumer. And it's like, yeah, like, of course I know that like my posterior chain needs some work and some activation, but I know that because I have an exercise science degree and I, I was a personal trainer and I did that time. Mm-hmm. The average consumer does not know that. And I see that with the niche that you and I both kind of fall in now with how helping that basically improve that athlete experience, mm-hmm. whether that be while they're still in it or as they're transitioning out. The biggest miss that I see from a lot of people that are also in this space that I I know you recognize is people aren't putting it in the language that makes sense and actually speaks to the athlete. And I think that's what your book has done really well is we hear this whole, we hear this talk, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, of transferable skills, being able to leverage that athlete experience towards the corporate world. And now you have an opportunity to do the same thing. And I, I almost get frustrated when I hear that because I remember back when I was 22 and original career path did not work out. I was in the situation to try to now market myself for that first job and trying to get a job when my only experience ever was life lifeguarding and swim coaching. And that was about it. Right. And then swimming. I was like, I promise there's more skills to me. And everyone in the career development um, program department was always telling me like, you got all these transferable skills, Corey, just like you got grit, you got determination, you got, but I know no one was telling me how to actually apply them. You know what I mean? How did you learn? Was it more intuitive for you or did you have someone that helped show you I think as athletes, we're very experimental, experiential and hands-on individuals. I always learn best when I'm actually able to like do it myself and then see it and be like, oh, that clicked. What was that process for you? I'm really curious. Yeah, this one, this one is it always to people's minds when I when I talk about this. I'm in the driver's seat. Sports was my vehicle. You know, and I just had another athlete that um, posted his transition and he said it and it just like threw me back. Right. Sports is not the driver's seat. It's mm. a method and means to be able to get you where you want to go because it's not forever. I, I don't care if you're Tom Brady or not. He's going to retire one day. Right. So once you get that kind of understanding that you're in the driver's seat, you move and your intentionality with how you receive information becomes paramount because then you go after the way that you need to receive it. You don't wait for someone to give you that information. It's like with an executive, a lot of times the reason why there's miscommunication or risk aversion across businesses is they're afraid to fail in front of executives. When in reality, the executive has no idea that there's even an issue because no one's communicated it. Mm. So, How are you going to, you know, you're going to set yourself up for failure. You're going to set them up for failure. But it became very simple for me. I said, all right, let me, let me go at the most basic level of why I was a a successful athlete. I literally was coachable times the 10th degree, meaning the difference between a freshman and a sophomore versus like a junior and a senior. And you'll understand this when you first get into sport. 
you're exhausted, right? Because you want to impress, you want to earn your spot. You're thinking of all, you know, how do you look? How are people going to perceive you? You're so worried about all these like outside things that have like zero bearing on your results. And if something doesn't go as planned, you're not fixing it until the end of the game where you may go into a rut, right? For a certain period of time. Whereas when you're a junior and a senior, right? You're in game. For example, when I would go up to bat and I had intentionality with going up to bat and say it wasn't a good swing, I would course correct by being coached in real time Mm. in the at bat. I wouldn't wait again to improve my performance and mindset, right? Because time is my most precious asset. And I knew that as I, as I developed. So for me, I use the same option sorting and all of the being in the driver's seat at the same level, right? So I went into corporate America and I drove performance development every week. Mm. I didn't wait for a mid-year and a full year because I'm coachable in real time. You tell me how to do something. Let me try it. Just like you said, let me fail a little bit in, in a small little section and then scale it out. So that's kind of my journey with it. And I've used that because of how coaching, that was my safe space of learning. So why not do that? Yeah. How do you get that feedback in real time in, in the, in the real world, as much as I hate that uh, word sometimes, but it, the reason I asked that question is because in sport, like, right, we're talking about softball for your background, real-time feedback. You made the catch or you didn't make the catch. You, it was a ball or it was a strike. You made contact. You didn't make contact. Like, you got immediate feedback with each swing. So on paper, it's easier to sit there and say, oh, yeah, well, I can be coachable and make course correction in real time after each pitch that is thrown. How do you or how have you over the past few years here through your experience found ways to get standard built-in feedback because it's to your point you just said it it's not built in to that corporate world where it is you get one review you get the yearly review and maybe if you're lucky you get like a monthly sales meeting whatever it may be how did you start to seek that out every day Mm. every day so i led my whole entire career with curiosity I had no ego. And every time I came with enthusiasm, because no matter what, if we're all going to be here, we're going to be our best and we're going to get 1% better every day. And that cumulative growth over time is going to culminate into step change progression. Everyone is trying to figure out how to triple revenue, quadruple revenue. Well, you're forgetting about the individual intentional things you can do each day. So you know, a good example is I would set the precedence in some of my meetings of, hey, is this working for everyone? Let's just pause. Mm. This is a 45 minute meeting. Can we do this in 15? And it's just like those little things. So you're you're tracking your performance and then it becomes, am I effectively communicating? Right. So I'll, I'll go and talk to someone and say, you know, I think I overstepped a bit. What was your take on it? And then it turned and morphed into, OK, hold on a minute. What, you know, whenever I had an idea and I was passionate about it, you know, sometimes when you're passionate, you could you be, become like a bulldozer and it's, it's not your intention to not listen to others, but you're just so excited and you're not listening to hear, you're listening to speak at that point. 
So then what I did was I started to train myself and then I would make my direct boss, right? In our weekly meetings that have agendas. And I would say, one of the things I want you to really help me with is make sure that what my intention is at the beginning of meetings that you're involved in is really what the outcome and results ended up being. Mm. And how did I communicate? So I put the onus on him as the leader who's watching me to make sure that I'm doing it. But I was in the driver's seat, letting him know that that was important. I love that bringing intentionality and communicating how you best receive feedback, I think is a huge takeaway for people listening in, especially that work in a team and environment. And it reminds me I'm reading right now or, or listening to, if I'm being fully honest, listening to no rules rules, which is like the Netflix story of essentially how Netflix was able to grow and scale without any real rules behind it. But one of their ingrained into their culture is this um, really irregardless of title and hierarchy, anyone can get a, can give everyone feedback and mm-hmm. can give it open, honestly and candidly uh, where it goes and tell stories of like people on their first day are horrified because someone who's only one level above them is telling the CEO that they think they missed the mark with the way that they answered this question or the way that they posed a question alienated half of the global company that now Netflix has become. It didn't give equal representation and opportunity. And people new to that environment are like, what the heck? But to your point, I think people coming from the athlete world, from the sporting world, it's not quite as shocking. It's actually very normal to, I mean, at least when you have a, a healthy team and a winning culture environment around you, uh, was that the culture at Pitt, like when you were there? Or I know you mentioned it was a new, newer program. Um, did you find yourself in this pivotal part where like, because it was only nine years old at that point, you could be a part of building this culture and instilling it? Yeah, and absolutely. And I also grew up with a lot of different style of coaching. Mm. Right. So I started playing when I was four, competitive at eight. So I saw it all. And and I had a lot of responsibility on me at an early age to not just be an athlete, but be a scholar athlete. And I was a chemistry major. So you just imagine I had a lot of stressors in the academic world. I was considered the jock. Mm. And then in the athletic world, I was considered the nerd. So I was always trying to figure out where my place was, this and that. But the one thing that I controlled was my controllables. And I went 150% and a lot of times I was misunderstood. A lot mm-hmm. of people lost motivation and that is when the real works, you know, better yeah. probably than I do, right? That's when the real work, right? And that concept of grit, uh, discipline, right? That's what really drives the boat. That's when like the elite become elite, right? So I've always kind of had that my mentality. And then sometimes I go work out with the football guys. I'd also go work out with the wrestlers because Mm. the wrestlers I thought had the most extreme workouts just to see how someone else did it. And they were winning, you know? I mean, when I was there, they won the Big East. We won Stanley Cup and the Super Bowl. (laughs) So it was just kind of one of those Not a bad, mad, uh, bad culture to be around, right? And and embody. But I'm really impressed at the level. I mean, you said earlier you led with curiosity. I think it still sounds very true to how you live your life now, but you're 
you're seeking out those environments and intentionally putting yourself there Mm -hmm. right now, where are those environments for you? Like in the season of life that you're in Mm -hmm. right at this point, like where are you intentionally putting yourself in? The fire. I love it. (laughs) Um, yeah. So this, this is interesting because, and I, I, I believe we share this. Mm. There's a lot going on in the athletic and sports industry, the environment being extremely stressful, moving to more of a semi-pro environment. You've got NIL, you've got transfer portal, you've got, you know, being an athlete is every bit of a business. And now people are really starting to understand it. And if you go to a semi-pro environment, you'll be treated like a contract, not a scholarship. And if you Mm -hmm. do not play, they can release you. There's so many things that go into this that's going to impact your mental health, impact the stressors around how you can navigate. Okay. And for me, what I'm doing is I'm going into a space that no one's really trying to tackle. Not because it's easy, but it is because it is the right and most responsible thing that I can possibly do given my background and given those that look to me to be the one to do it. Mm. And, and it's not just at an NCAA level, it's at a high school level. Let's start instilling this earlier and often. So it's not this huge jump, right? If, if, someone can be paid at a high school level, they need to understand it's not mommy and daddy's dream. And sometimes it's, it hurts some of these parents, but you can't move the goalpost because your kid got a touchdown. You you can't do that. It's not how business is. Right. And if you're instilling that in your child now, what do you think from a character building perspective that they're really going to then portray into others? So I'm going into those uncharted territories and having the dialogue about mental health and not just the word, actually, what are the the things that we can proactively do? And it's Mm. not just talk about it, but how do we place and solve the issue, not just bring problems. So I'm doing that across the board. So that's the fires I'm in right now. I love it. And, you know, it's, I think, again, something we we share and are equally passionate about is that that proactive mental health conversation. I had a really good talk with a buddy of mine uh, yesterday. He runs this company called call your fam, which is a mental health jewelry um, company. And a, a lot of their proceeds go towards supporting different initiatives, which has been super cool to see him grow. And he was like, dude, I feel like your, your stuff just the content speaks really well to the listener. And one of the things that I, I think you resonate and share as well is it's safe to say that like, yes, we know the statistics and like the dire need behind why we need this to be more at the forefront of the conversation. But when we're talking to the athlete itself or themselves, it can't be like, Hey, did you know that like 70% of you will deal with this issue? And like 50% of you will deal with some form of depression at some point. It's like, they don't need to be inundated with statistics. They need to be inundated with tools and poured into in a way that empowers them to be proactive and take control of this. And, and there's so many things there, right? But maybe it's not one uh, therapist to the entire athletic department. Maybe we start with, if that's the only thing that's within the budget, great. Let's provide other tools and resources that mm-hmm. at least allow these conversations to be normalized in the locker rooms or in the team setting or with at least one other teammate so that it doesn't reach that extreme 
or your crisis mode now therapist availability is only three months from now. So good luck uh, figuring out your crisis mode. I hope it still exists three months from now type deal. Um, how I'd be curious, just your take on proactive mental health. I think that means different for a lot of us in your eyes. What does that look like for you? Like how can someone maybe listening to this start being more proactive with their own mental health? It's okay to have a bad day. Mm. Let's start there, right? It's okay to say, you know what? I need a little help, especially athletes. We are master compartmentalizers. We can have family disruption. We can have deaths in our family. We can have professors that just don't get it and they make our lives miserable and we put it to the back and we perform at the highest level because we're able to use that as fuel in some cases to tap into our beast mode. The same principles on mental health. Just because you're able to put it back to perform at the highest level, that doesn't mean you just never re-engage with that. So the proactiveness is one of the things that's very passionate for me. It can't just be driven by administrations. Mm. A lot of them don't get it. They don't. Some of them never played sports. They're just in the sports industry. And there's nothing against that. But it's hard to connect when you haven't been in someone's shoes, right? So for me, creating programs, not just in their sack, you know, like designated yeah. kind of divisional way to think about those types of programs are like they're athletes run by athletes for athletes. They're kind of, I don't want to say political action committees, but kind of, right? They, they vocalize for the student body is a good way to think about it. So a lot of times they'll put stuff into that structure and be like, okay, tick the box. We've done it. Mm. Not the case. That doesn't mean they're going to know how to structure it. I mean, they're in college. They need psychologists involved. They need former athletes sitting at a table to help them create a solution set that doesn't just solve, but also helps from reoccurrence. And if things are to happen, how do you just lighten the blow a little bit? and have it for athletes by athletes because that gets the buy-in. If you do not have buy-in, you're never going to have the safe space to have the conversation. And then you get the administration involved in helping to allocate the resources to make it sustainable. I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. But that for me is something that as I travel to different schools, that's coming out. And what I'll do, take a white sheet of paper. I love ambiguity. And I'll just draw a couple of solutions and say, hey, if I created this app or if I created this like program with these people and it looked like this, rip it apart. And they feel empowered. They take a pen, they scratch all over it and they highlight yeah. what they like and it gives them a voice. So, Yeah, which is something, ironically, I think not a lot of athletes are used to having a voice and like having a true voice that that can be heard. Um it's an interesting take on just the role that SAC plays. I mean, I was in SAC for two years at Delaware and it felt like a lot of it was just, okay, cool. We can vocalize it, but what happens there? Like it doesn't actually get moved forward from this. Yeah. And, and I'm from the DC area. I know, know the political game. Well, um, <laughs> was, 
surrounded by it by most of my life. And I think that's unfortunately what we see a lot um, from like an NCAA down uh, perspective, at least right now, is it it is, well, what's the PC way to, to handle this? Oh, we've we've made a psychiatrist available to the athletes. Well, they're not going to come out and say, yeah, it's actually one, two, 400. So there's 400 different athletes that now need to go see this one psychiatrist. Tell me how that's supposed to work. Um, I still trying to figure out that I wasn't great at math, but I know that that one doesn't really add up um, in my yeah. head, but that's, yeah, I think it's, I mean, this is a whole interesting debate, but where, where do you think that that change actually gets to happen? Because do you see it? It sounds the way that I'm hearing it from you, it, almost like it's these third parties, what I'm doing, what you're doing, what some other people in this space are doing, kind of raising the awareness and getting this vocalized and actually taking the, the action because we don't have the the handcuffs and the red tape that maybe the NCAA and the administration have. Um, do you see kind of our role being, we're going to push this narrative forward and then hope that the NCAA kind of catches up to it down the road? I'm approaching it similar, but different. Okay. Okay. Um, yes, I agree with you. It, it's going to take um, our drive, right? Um, because this is what we're focusing on. It's not one piece of a bigger pie. I mean, this is it. I mean, we are so all in on it because number one, we come from it. We mm. understand what we didn't have and wanted to have. And instead of just saying, oh, it would have been great. We're actually creating solutions to bring to the table. That I'm 150% on board and that's what it's going to take because we are outside of the yellow tape. We are outside of the process for process sake. Trust me, I've lived in corporate America. I understand it. And I've, I've, I've partnered. There's one thing to get a community and be so loud that they can't ignore you, which is an approach. You can mm -hmm. do that, right? And if you go the way that I'm presenting and it doesn't, then probably you have to do that, right? But there's, you go bottom up and top down. You don't just do one singular way. And I've learned this in corporate America. Politics are always going to be there. Instead of just saying how much you hate it, instead of saying, oh, it's impossible. How about you sit at the table, find a way, be just as passionate about getting into the room at that level, the room that you probably don't want to be in, but you have a responsibility to be in there if you're so all in mm. and sit down and understand who are the leaders that are actually touching the subject. Let's start to figure out what the base foundational access to the conversation looks like, because you can't solve and you can't implement if you don't know who's really making the decisions. So that would be one thing. Right. And then it's kind of like federal versus state. It's also in the universities. One of the biggest things with NIL that can be leveraged is not only affording a collective opportunity for athletes to be able to be paid for their name, image, and likeness, but one of the ways for recruiting, right, against the portal and giving a holistic approach mm. is putting together a full life skills program that is proactive, can solve um, problems when they arise can prepare and parallel path. But the biggest thing here that always people forget to say is the placement. You can give someone the tools, but if they don't have the pipeline to go, who do they, who do they talk to? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Right? So there's one thing for us to come 
make a good noise and stink about it. There's another to actually come to the table at different levels, do, do the roles that are required at a top level, at an administration level, from a student athlete perspective and hear them, you become their voice at a level that you can operate that they can't at this point. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it becomes a full community of, okay, now how do we make this work? And some universities are going to be more progressive than others. And you're going to have to deal with that. Um, but the other way um, I'm driving the speed of this is I'm creating endowments. So the majority of my proceeds are going to fund it. So mm-hmm. no one can tell me that there is not a financial budget to be able to allocate. I'm cutting that out. Yeah. I was about to say, because that's usually the, the number one thing, right? Let's is, cut that out. And we don't have the money for it. So sorry. Keep, I'll find the money. Keep beating down the, the road. Uh, I love it. I mean, shoot, I'm, I'm like a mile and a half from UT. Um, I, might, I might just run over there quite literally and, and kick down some doors after this conversation. Let's do it, man. So, tell, uh, tell, me, tell me when and I'm there with you. <laughs> you. Can you be here in like 30, 40 minutes? You know, we'll make it happen. Um, no, I, I love the approach and I love, and this, what I love about social media and, you know, we connected via LinkedIn, um, which is a, a highly underrated, underutilized social sure. media forum, right? Like if we're talking about resources for athletes, current or former, use LinkedIn in a way that serves you mm-hmm. more than just when you need that job. You know what I mean? I feel like it's, it's the forgotten social media where you just go in on your job search and that's about it. And then you, you don't check it. But it's something just powerful when that becomes, for better or for worse, ironically, the, the podcast episode that will be released right before you, we talked about reducing social media consumption. Um, <laughs> but adding in LinkedIn into that like mix of what you are consuming oftentimes is a much more valuable and value-driven platform. How have you been like managing your own relationship with social media and, and leveraging like the LinkedIn's of the world? Um, because I mean, I see your stuff and you're, you're very active and it's not just, here's this quote that hit me the other day. It's like, you're providing true value with each time that you show up. So I want to acknowledge you on that, but I'd be curious as to like how you, you really see that playing a role for you. Well, thank you. That means a lot because that's my intention is mm-hmm. to not just post a quote, but let's talk about it. Let's break it down and give someone, I don't care if it's a second, a minute, five minutes of introspective reflection. I'm like so big on that. I'm terrible at meditation, but I'm really good at reflecting and I'm Mm. trying to to do, to slow myself down via meditation. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but for me on LinkedIn, I have a very broad network. Right. So I have such a unique opportunity to put content out and kind of have a observational voice of customer mm. to see um, who actually responds versus the demographics of who are looking at things. Right. If I'm saying getting into rooms, I literally will look at all of the analytics and I will circle back with certain people that have reoccurringly responded to me and it becomes a relationship or, Hey, where's the intersection? Where can we have some congruency here? Let me bring some opportunities. And um, the other thing that happens to me a lot 
and I'm trying, I'm trying to figure this one out. So this would be good to get your thoughts. I'm putting a lot of content and putting a platform for other athletes to be able to highlight like their journey, right? Mm -hmm. How they succeeded beyond the game. And we're all a little bit different. There's a lot of commonalities. Everybody loves it. When I say everybody, I have people who don't even follow me that will send me DMs. They will not like it or comment. Mm -hmm. They'll say, hey, you changed my perspective here, or you made me think for a second. And it hit me really hard because if I was only focused about the actual followers and the actual likes, I would have been bothered by that. But I was so energized because I said, oh, we just, that's great. It's, it's, it's pulling through. There's some weeds on it. So mm -hmm. I think the problem with social media is people are focusing on the wrong aspects of it. Instead of it being such a great scalable tool to get some information and help that one person that may be Think about suicide because it's a bad day, you know, mm -hmm. and they don't want to be hearing, hey, are you OK? They just want to hear someone else's journey and how they overcame. And maybe they don't want to respond to me or they are scared to kind of come talk to me for, for whatever reason, because I'm putting a lot of stuff out and it's overwhelming for some people, but they like it, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the balance where I think I'm struggling on the connectivity piece of it. Yeah, what I think what you you hit on there was like you've shifted your metric of what success is, which is is really challenging in a social media day and age where it's very it's very transparent, right? Like I can I can immediately see something that I create right now, how mm -hmm. is it received by the world by the number of views that it gets, the amount of likes it gets, the amount of comments that it gets, the amount of shares, whatever the analytics that like marketing departments love to hyper focus on and I'd be lying if I sat here and said you know there aren't times where you know it is really really exciting and a hell of a dopamine rush when you have a video that literally takes off like wildfire on on a platform like a TikTok right like had a couple videos go for over a million some for over two million views and you're just sitting there like I can't not keep checking on my phone yeah. but that was not the intention like Casey Neistat's one of my favorite creators because he doesn't create for the views he creates for creativity and for impact and really inspiring someone to make a shift and that's something that I find like as I've introduced this creator role into my life the past year I'm also still struggling like how to how to shift out of this look at the vanity metrics versus now, what is the intention behind this? And ironically, it's the intention behind it. The purer that is, the better that video typically does and is better received. And it sounds like similar to you. And you just shift how you view that success um, is huge, but it's not easy. But, you know, I've always said the, the reason I do what I do is, you know, if one person listens to this podcast episode and it, it helped them either get some hope in their life, you know, positively make an impact, they learn something, and I did my job. I've done I've done what I needed to do. And it sounds like that's a, a very similar space for you of the why behind you doing what you do. Is that fair to say? Oh, 100%. And the reason the reason I say I'm struggling with it is not the like piece of it. I'm I was so past that. I I am on the creative side. I'm very fortunate that I was mm. never kind of sucked into that, but it's the connectivity with others. So then just go beyond reflection, reflection, but how do I engage? Then connecting. 
Yeah. That one's right? challenging the bigger the scale it gets, right? Like there's been, like I said, there's been times where something literally explodes. Uh, there was a moment in time where I was like, I'm going to respond to every comment I will ever get. <laughs> and then I had a video get like 3,000 plus comments in 24 hours. And I was like, wow. TikTok flagged my account for trying to respond to people too really? fast. It was like, you're doing too, like, you're spamming. And I was like, I'm spamming my own thing. I'm trying to to wow. connect and do inspire conversation, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because that continues to add fuel to the fire and, and that thing just continues to grow when you do that. Um, so I'm with you. It is, it is interesting. Like, how do you, how do you keep that? How do you not lose sight of that at scale? It's, it's a unique, but also a very privileged challenge and puzzle to be faced with to try to solve. Because that's that that's where I I focus, right? Mm. Because you're you're very much like me. I'm gonna go on a limb and say this, right? We serve others, mm. right? We we really want to pour into other people's cups very altruistically, like this, there is no ulterior motive. We just want to do the right thing because it's a responsibility that we're taking on and we have and get to have the absolute privilege to do it. Absolutely. You know? Um, so yeah, I just, I had, I think the the takeaway for me was I had someone comment on a post that said, Sammy, you are not even going to understand the impact you've made because you're going to be changing people's lives and you don't even know it. Mm. And that's when I just, it hit me saying, you know what? I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm done for the day. I, I'm going to go run now. <laughs> so so sorry, that's, that's a good, you know, yeah. you need those from time to time. You know what I mean? It's, it's not why you do it. It's not, you're not seeking out that external validation, but sometimes you never know, like, those messages really do mean a lot when you do get them and they're, they always come at, seems to be like the perfect time, right? Like you could be, you could be going cause there's no way around it. You and I are going through our own thing in our own experience. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be moments where like, I love you started this asking like, well, how am I doing? Like really, how am I doing? It wasn't just a, Hey, how are you? Like what's, what's happening? It's like, it, there's a genuineness behind it. And there's always that, I always say, people ask me like how I've done this for two years. I'm like, you know, I don't know if it's just like big man upstairs or something, but something always comes around at just the right time. Like the moments that I'm, I'm considering going onto LinkedIn to search for a new job. It's like a message comes in or a friend calls or, you know, like Mm -hmm. something happens where it's like, I'm stressing to make rent. Oh, new client came out of nowhere. I'm good now. And it's like, I think those are just those little signs along the way of of this journey you and I are both on Mm -hmm. where it's just like, Hey, you're on the right path. Trust it. Trust that path. It might not look the way that you want it to look right away, but it will, it will work out. I'm curious as to right now, like, what are you most excited for in this journey, in this process, as you start to navigate the ups and downs of the day to day? That is like a loaded question. (laughs) I'm excited, number one, for it all. Um, And, you know, more importantly, I'll tell you what I'm really excited for. So I want to build a global enterprise. I want to scale this out globally Mm. because there's athletes across the world that don't have the NCAA. They're a 16 to 18 year old going into a pro environment for two, three years, 
they don't like they're not even a grown person yet <laughs> right mm -hmm. there's a big responsibility to, to get that out okay so you know this year it's all about getting everything out there i've left corporate america november 4th all in i already have schools coming it's it's happening doing media you know like like you said at the beginning right every your momentum is stellar this and that where i lose sleep is the scalability mm. and that is what i'm most excited for because what i'm starting to see is i'm meeting people like you i'm meeting organizations that have great content and scalability in that avenue and space that i can then athleticize it with x's and o's let's mm -hmm. talk the language right um, like I said before, so we're partnering together to leverage a base foundational successful program into a like new unique adjacency, let's call it. And my three to five year corporate global corporate enterprise of 100 mil rev is now going to happen in 18 months. That's what I'm excited for. Yeah, I mean, definitely something to be excited for, you know, and get excited yeah. about. I love it. I want to just say, like, I, I really appreciate your time and just this conversation, I think, is, has been very impactful for me, and I know it will be for those listening in as well. So I just want to acknowledge you first and foremost for that and the, the way you continue to show up. I want to wrap with what's known as the fast five here. So they're, they're one sentence, one word answers. Um, I have no doubt you'll you'll knock these out of the park. The first one I'm is- nervous. I'm nervous. Hey, don't don't be nervous. They're fun. They're light. They're easy. What's your go-to podcast that you're jamming out to right now? Best of ET motivation. Mm, powerful dude to listen to. Number two, what is your favorite book that you've read in the last year? The Tribal Leadership. Mm. Number three, what is something that you can't live without? Coffee great choice number four what's a quote that you live by how you do anything is how you do everything let that soak in ladies and gentlemen that's a, that's a good one number five what is, if you could sum up your focus right now in just one word what's that word it's two words all in <laughs> perfect well a little hyphen there hyphen um, considered yeah. one word all in <laughs> Bend the words, make, or bend the rules, make it happen. Um, this is great. I, I really do appreciate it. Where can those listening in keep up with you? Go check out the Athlete Advantage book, like everything else that you guys, that you got cooking up on your end here. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. My website is my name, samanthacard.com. And my Instagram is Samantha S. Card. Um, there's a lot of athlete testimonials. It's just a great resource to, to connect with uh, the community. And my book's on Amazon. And I'm putting out a YouTube series. So everything will be in the bio. So easy to access everything. Awesome. And we'll have that all linked below. Samantha, again, thank you for the time. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you.